Hello, I am Thomas Davis. I'm the minister in Carloway Free Church in the Isle of Lewis in the northwest of Scotland. Hi, I'm Andy Longway, Minister of London City Presbyterian Church in the heart of our nation's capital, London. And welcome to the Jesus Today podcast. So good to have you with us again and a special welcome to any new listeners that we have. Um, We're so delighted to have you with us. Uh, Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Please remember uh, to like, subscribe, follow. um, And and if you're able, we'd love for you to share uh, a link with your friends, get more people able to hear. Uh, So thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank you very much for listening. Well, today, Thomas, we've got a special guest, Andy Murray. Uh, of Save Families, Deacon and Livingston Free Church. Andy, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, it's good to be with you guys. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Um, yeah, I'm Andy, uh, married to Kirstine. Uh, we've got five five sons. Um, as we say, we, we stay in Livingston. Um, I'm a Deacon in Livingston Free Church, Programme Manager of Safe Families in Scotland, which is a family support charity, Christian family support charity. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's me. And you're a great lover of shinty, not football. No, that's right. I, f- I follow Scotland's national sport, shinty. So um, the boys play for a club called Aberdour over in Fife. Um, and uh, I continue to follow my boyhood team of Oban Camera through uh, ups and downs. A few more ups recently, actually. Um, we had a bit of a drought for a few a few decades, but we're, uh, we're back winning cups again. So. Fantastic, fantastic. Did you play shinty yourself, Andy, in your day? Just at, just at primary school, really. Um, didn't take it too seriously. Didn't take it into kind of senior shinty. So um, I guess I kind of drifted away from shinty for quite a long time and came back. Uh, we started training kids at primary school in the Gaelic School in Edinburgh. So I, I got back into it then and became a coach. Uh, and then my own boys have got involved in it. And I'm now the chaplain of Aberdeer Shinty Club. So um Travel, travel around the country with the club. Uh, go to go to matches in places like Butte and Ardnamurchan and various places. So, yeah, we love travelling around the Highlands, uh, watching Shinty. So brilliant, brilliant. For any of our listeners who don't know what Shinty is, let me just explain it. Um, I want you to imagine. First of all, you watch the Olympics. Sometimes you see this game called hockey, where you have a stick and a ball and all that. Okay, so keep that in mind. And then if you've watched the film Gladiator. Um, where you have this massive arena where people are fighting with swords and clubs uh, and all sorts of things like that. Shinty is kind of a cross between these two, <laughs> between these two images. Is that right, Andy? No, no, it's very civilized. It's a gentleman's game, really. Um, particularly, particularly up in Lewis, they they play it very a very civilized way up there. Lewis Camera, so very good, very good. Okay, we're going to start today uh, with with our favourite game. Uh, he's right, I'm wrong. And uh, seeing as it's now December, um, we uh, thought we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Christmas because Christmas is very much just round the corner. And um, one of well, one of my favourite parts, one of our favourite parts of Christmas is Christmas dinner. Uh, however, lots of different opinions in this uh, in in this podcast about Christmas dinner. Uh, Andy, tell me. What's what are you excited about for Christmas dinner? Oh, what am I not excited about, about Christmas dinner? So has to be turkey, roast turkey with all the trimmings, roast potatoes, pigs in blanket, stuffing. Like I, I, I even love Brussels sprouts. Just it's the only day in the year that I really love Brussels sprouts. But <laughs> I mean, like it on Christmas day, there is nothing better than a roast turkey with all 
of the trimmings. Well, that sounded good, Andy, but you missed the most important element. So, like, yeah, I agree with you, turkey, sprouts, potatoes, everything. But the single most important thing in Christmas dinner is bread sauce. No! No! <laughs> this is where we disagree, Thomas. I'm also married to, to Marina, who always goes on about bread sauce. What even is it? Like, I'd never heard of bread sauce belonging to the Christmas meal. <laughs> No, <laughs> bread sauce is the best thing. Like everything, it has to be like like your your plate needs to look like there's been a snowfall on it. Like nothing can be seen apart from bread sauce over everything. Bread sauce is 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 the single best and most important aspect uh, of Christmas dinner. What? It's so good, so good. Andy, are you gonna come and back me up here? Yeah, I, I, my wife's a bit of a purist when it comes to the Christmas dinner. She she needs to have all the, all the trimmings. You can't leave any out. I mean, I'm I. I would quite. I'd be quite happy with a bit of roast beef on on uh, Christmas Day, but she's very much a purist when it comes to turkey. But for me, for me, it's all about the roast potatoes on Christmas Christmas Day. Mm. Roast potatoes done in goose fat with some rock salt, um, and pigs in blanket are the big thing as well. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I can take or leave Christmas dinner, but uh, yeah, what? Absolutely <laughs> every single element, and uh, he's she loves cooking, which is great because I'm I'm dreadful cook. So Christmas dinner is a very big thing in our house. Sounds good. Sounds good. So listeners, we want to hear from you. What is the best part of of Christmas dinner? Or even more, we want to hear from you if you, if you like me, recognise that Andy Longway has no taste, no sense, <laughs> no appreciation for bread sauce. Andy Murray doesn't even like turkey. He wants roast beef. <laughs> I mean, the only person in this podcast who has any sense regarding Christmas dinner uh, is, is the Carloway man. So, so we'd love, I'd love to hear from you to back me up. Thomas. A white Christmas, and you're talking about covering your meal with bread sauce. No way. I can't get that image out of my head now. You know? That's my idea of a white Christmas. Brilliant. Brilliant. Bread sauce, the way to go. Christmas is actually a really good thing for us to talk about um, because it's, it leads us into to, to the big subject that we want to think about and that, we, that we've invited Andy to come on to talk about. Christmas is something that we're massively excited about um, every year. It's a great time. Um, the food, the, the catching up with family and friends, um, the presents, and all the different activities. I'm sure London must look amazing in Christmas, and um, and all across the country, there's there's lots of brilliant things going on. But I guess Christmas can also be a time where we are so conscious of the gaps that uh, that there are in in our families and in our friendships, and it can be the time of year where the loss of people that we love becomes all the more apparent and and maybe even all the more painful. And we want today to, to spend some time talking about bereavement, um, talking about the reality of loss, and talking about how we cope with that uh, as we seek to follow Jesus. Now, Andy, I know that, I think it was four years ago, you lost your sister, Anna. Do you want to tell us about your experience of loss and bereavement? Yeah, so... Um... You know, as Thomas said, Christmas can be quite a difficult time. Um, I've lost uh, two sisters, both to cancer. Um, but my first sister died just before Christmas on the 4th of December, 1980. And I still vividly remember that Christmas. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, Christmas can be a really difficult time for, for people uh, as they think of loved ones that have gone. I was only eight at the time, but I vividly remember my teacher coming into the classroom and letting me go home early and, you know, walking into, my father was the, the minister and, you know, walking into the manse and just the scene of devastation, you know, as a kid seeing your your parents so distraught was very distressing for me. And so I know it's a difficult time for my, mo- for my mum um, at Christmas time as it's a 43 43 years on Monday since my sister died, my first sister, and um, she was only 14. So the loss of a child is obviously huge. And um, I think for me, then experiencing the death of mother sister four years ago from um, pancreatic cancer, um, we nursed her for 18 months before she died. I think, you know, what I would say about grief and loss is there's nothing that makes it any easier. Um, having a faith um, gives you a comfort. You have a comfort in the sovereignty of God. Um, you know, you, you feel comforted by the fact that, you know, both my sisters were Christians, but death is still the final enemy. And I think it was C.S. Lewis said that, you know, he didn't understand there was so much fear in death until his wife died. And there is still that element of, of, um, of fear as a loved one is ripped away from you. I think for me, grief is a profoundly lonely experience. Um, even if you have family, even if you have very close friends, if you've got a, a very supportive church that are uh, around you, it's still a very profoundly lonely experience. I think um, nobody can walk your uh, your grief experience with you. Really, um, you know, you can. Uh, I think you can show tremendous empathy, but it's still. An experience that you have to go through alone, really. Bizarrely enough, you know, my 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 second sister died um, in a hospice. She she collapsed in Glasgow, and she was actually in a hospice when she died. And I say this to a lot of people, but it's a very strange experience. But the hospice was a very, I wouldn't say it was a happy experience, but it was almost like um, the, the love and the care that the staff showed her. It was a very um, it's a very comforting experience, I think. Um, I think a lot of people will say that about hospices. It's, 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 a, it's almost a unique place. It's not like hospitals, but yeah. um, incredible love and care that the staff showed to my sister in her final week um, was it was as, as good an ending as you could, could have hoped for. We happened to be beside another Christian lady in the hospice, and we, we, we kept hearing these beautiful hymns being sung Every evening, she was from um, Harper Church in Glasgow, and uh, the pastor would come in with some people from Harper, and there'd be these lovely hymns coming through the corridors um, as they visited. So, but you know, just in terms of the relationship with the staff, uh, it, was, it was an incredible experience that I've never forgotten. And after my after Anna died in twenty nineteen, um, I decided to make a a video of our experience with with a filmmaker and. Mm. We went back to interview the staff and um, it was just a real insight into the whole hospice movement that I just never even, never experienced before and uh, how poorly funded they are. And, you know, these people just do so, so much, so much good work that it's just never, never, um, it's never seen by the kind of wider world. And, you know, these hospices really run on very little money and, you know, if the raise so much money themselves but um, just doing incredible work really. I think that's a really really interesting point 
and that in so many ways going through a loss it, it kind of brings you into a world that um that in many ways day-to-day life tries to keep hidden you know so th- there's a whole world of emotions that, that we experience that we that we you know in our day-to-day lives we, we don't want to go there in terms of, of what we experience and there's also that that whole world of 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 care um uh access to a hospice um and and also kind of walking with others through that that bereavement period there's there's that not just you know your own sense of loss but but watching others experience that loss as well you know and and all of that's something that we our day-to-day lives we well i certainly think speaking for myself and i'm sure many are like this you 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 don't want to go there you don't want to think through that and yet there's this kind of mix of you know, deep pain there, but there's also there's also beauty there in in the love that's 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 shown. And do you think that you know we 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 actually are making a mistake by by trying to go through our lives not thinking about that and keeping all that just to one side? What what do you think? Yeah, I think um, obviously I experienced death at a very early stage of my life, and um, it had a very profound effect on me. And you know, I would say the reason I'm a Christian today is. Um, because I experienced death so young, um, it almost, you know, gives you a glimpse into another world, and um, it just struck me at a very early age just how how fragile life is and was. And yeah. um, my first sister, Linda, she, she she was a bright Christian, and she she died very quickly. We, we returned from summer holiday in uh, nineteen nineteen eighty, and she, you know she, she contracted a brain tumor within a few months and and died and. It was just a reminder, just of how how quickly life changes, how fragile life is, and yeah. it certainly had a very profound effect on me. And I suppose it just had a very profound effect on the family. So, um, as you guys probably know, my dad wrote a, a small book after my sister died. He actually gave he gave it as a conference talk to the Banner of Truth conference. I think it was in nineteen ninety or ninety one. And then it was produced. It was produced into a book um, behind a frowning providence, and and that has, I think, it's been reprinted something like, um, I think there's seventy or eighty thousand copies been printed. I think something like seventeen languages. I think, um, and I never go anywhere without somebody coming up to me and saying that this the book has had a profound mm. effect on them. Pastors say to me that you know they give it out regularly to. To people who experience um, illness or, or, or grief, and so you know, I think of I think of what you know Joseph said at the end of uh, Genesis when he met his brothers, you know, and just how the Lord can take tragic circumstances and in His providence bring good out of them, and um, you know, I think of the the many lives that have been touched by my dad's book and, you know, just as a pastor, yeah. I suppose, how he was able to empathise and relate to others who had lost children. My mother as well has got alongside so many people over the years. And yeah. I suppose, you know, one of the reasons I, I guess I went into social work was um, experiencing that at a very early age and just, um, I suppose, it gave me empathy for other people that, that, that go through crisis and tragedy and sometimes how little control you have over your own life that you know something just strikes you and really changes the course of your life forever um and you know we, we see grief from the outside somebody else experiences grief but of course everybody else moves on and everyone else sometimes forgets about it but you know for 
for a family that the grief is as um as raw as it was almost the day it happened you know i can still think back to you know my my first sister's funeral very very vividly as a as a child like watching my mum and dad obviously at their, their own daughter's funeral was was so distressing for uh, for me and you know seeing my parents in so much grief i think we forget that many people move on but you know people who have lost particularly children or, or loved ones that grief remains pretty raw for them you know yeah and a lot that you've just said there uh, deeply you know resonates with um a lot that i think i've experienced in my own life and then just as a minister um coming along others who, who, who are going through uh, experiencing bereavement and loss but you know, it got me thinking that a lot that you're saying, it, it kind of brings together our theology, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, and him working out his purposes in our life and not always understanding them. Um, and then our own personal experience where, you know, grief is a very personal thing. And as you said, you know, we, we, we often go through it in our own unique way. So I suppose my question is, yeah, how, how with theology and experience meeting together, what sort of things would you have to say for our listeners just to, to understand, say, the providence of God better? You know, in one sense, we we all wholeheartedly say amen. God works things together for good. And there's great comfort when one is a believer. But sometimes it's easier to amen that theology uh, when you're in a, a good season of life. But when you're when you're going through really difficult, you're sometimes blind to it. So, yeah, why don't you just speak to the theology and experience of, of bereavement? I think, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, my father used to always sort of say that, you know, everything has to be rooted in the character of God. And, you know, you have to start from who, who God is. God is, a, God is a good God. We experience providences as, as very difficult and, you know, inexplicable. You know, somebody came up to me after um, Anna's death and said, um, so I took hold of my arm and he said, you know, I don't know what to say, he says, but all I can say is, um, as what as, as an old minister used to say, Lord, help us to trust you when we can't understand you, you know. I've thought a lot over the years about um you know, we, we think of we think of trust as quite a a simple and an easy thing, but you know, trusting God when you lose a child or lose a loved one is I mean that that, that really does test trust, doesn't it? You know, that, that yeah. God knows what he's doing and this is in God's plan and providence. I mean, that's that's the ultimate in trust, really, isn't it? Um, I suppose the other thing I thought think about a little bit is um, I think of, of, of Christ and, and his kind of priestly, priestly role, and I think of you know what McShane said. You know, if you knew that Christ was praying for you in the next room, you know, every minute of every day, you know, it would comfort you a lot. And you know, I think I think of of Christ praying for us and you know one day he prayed for my sisters to be with him you know and he and that was and I, I get comfort from that 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 Christ decided to to take them away at a certain point and I guess as I say in my I wrote a blog post a tribute to my sister Anna after she died and I, you know it's 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 entitled a life well lived and I kind of say in that tribute to my sister I said you know it's not always the length of years that we have but it's the fullness of the life that we live for for, for God you know and my sister lived a really full life she died when she was 
51, but you know she lived a really full, rich life, which touched a lot of people. And we're not always guaranteed, you know, 70 or 80 years, but you know she packed a lot of good, a goodness into into the years that she had, and that's a great comfort for us. But yeah, I think I think for me, starting with the goodness of God, the character of God, the sovereignty of God, I don't think these things make make the loss of loved ones any easier. But I think. Um, I think a sense of trust in the goodness of God, that God has a plan and a purpose and what he's done gives does give some comfort, you know. I think that's so crucial that, you know, the, these these doctrines, they're not there to, they're not there to pretend it's not awful, you know, but they're actually there to, to, to offer comfort in the midst of something that, that really is awful. Um, in both these situations, you know, Andy, um, you know, both, both these losses, um, you know, the run up to that was was a diagnosis, was a terminal illness. Um, you know, all, all the 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 questions and and pain and joys and sorrows that that brings. Um, can you tell us a wee bit about what that was like? You know, um, because for many people that that's also you know a reality they'll be they'll be facing. You know, some people who have people they love who 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 do have a terminal diagnosis. Some who maybe have a diagnosis that um, could go one way or the other. Um, yeah, you've had to walk that road more than once. Um, what's that been like? Yeah, so, you know, with my my first sister's diagnosis, I was just a kid and um, I was largely kept away from a lot of, you know, the technicalities of it. I just knew my, sis- my sister was sick, so I didn't really have a full understanding. But um, I think, you know, at the time my parents wanted, you know, as much normality in the, the home as possible. So I, I, was, I was sort of kept away from... Um, the diagnosis, the prognosis, really. Mm. Um, I knew my, my sister was very ill, but I, I didn't fully understand the gravity of it, I think, until it happened. But with Anna's um, diagnosis, uh, it was a very, very profound experience. I remember I was driving, it, it was um, February 2018, and I was I had to go back into Edinburgh for something on a very snowy night in, in February, and... I remember her her number coming up on the dashboard when she phoned me in the car, and you know she didn't phone very often, and then I just had a sense that it was something quite significant, and mm. um, you know she said that that they'd find a tumor on her her pancreas, you know, and the little I knew of pancreatic cancer, I knew that it was pretty serious, and you know she asked me to go to to see the consultant with her in March, and again I've written quite extensively about this, but. We had this quite long uh, consultation with the consultant, and eventually I sort of said to her, "You know, so what's the prognosis here?" You know, and she said, "You've got." Well, she said, "You've got months to live." And I said, "Okay, why didn't you just say that at the start? Because <laughs> um, that would have been really helpful." And, and I said to her, "So what happens now?" And she said, "Well, you know, we'll we'll be in touch about treatment." And I just thought. You know, in my naivety, I just sort of, I said, I said, do we go and see somebody else? Do we go and see a Macmillan nurse? Do we, how, like, can somebody help us to try and yeah. break this news to our parents? And she was like, mm, no, no. So myself and my sister just kind of left the consultant's room and kind of got in the car. And I was like, who's going to tell mum and dad? And she's like, you know, I don't know. Like, how do you do that? And I'm, I'm like, you know, so you, ever since then, I've, you know, I've done a lot of work with, with pancreatic cancer. I've been down to, Westminster to speak to um, MPs and I've been to the Scottish Parliament and just trying to help the kind of 
the whole kind of cancer pathway, you know, um, yeah. just the lack of lack of support initially just really, really shocked me, you know. Um, and, you know, the prognosis is, is terminal, so you know you're going to die, but how do we just, how do we support the family and all that? How do we help elderly parents to, to take that news in? <clears throat> you know, in the first few weeks of that process were just horrible, just awful. And, you know, one of the things that made a, a huge difference to us was um, the Maggie Centre in, in Edinburgh. I don't know if you've ever experienced the Maggie Centre, but, you know, we walked into the Maggie Centre the first day that Anna was was getting um, her treatment at, at the Western. And it was just like, it was like a kind of slice of normality. Everyone just sort of treated you like a kind of normal person, a kind of normal human yeah. being. And they got you a cup of coffee and, you know, was, they were just like, you know, my sister's main concern was, that, you know, what to do when my hair falls out, you know, and they were like, you know, this, this is how we can help you. This is how we can support you. And so I quite often talk about when I'm um, talking about my own charity, you know, when families are in crisis, you know, I want, I want a Maggie type service. I want a Maggie center type service, just normal mm. people to connect with me at a normal level and support me emotionally. And, you know, with the practical nitty gritty of life, you know, this is, you know, this is what I need help with right now. Can you help me with this? You know, and don't talk to me in kind of language. I don't understand like medical language, you know? So, um, so the Maggie center was just a huge help, but the other thing I would say, um, my sister was a member at Holyrood Evangelical Church in Edinburgh and, you know, they were just brilliant, you know, just, they immediately got around my sister. They had a rota for helping her get to appointments after she did chemotherapy, she couldn't she couldn't drive, so you know people would drive her there and back to appointments. Loads of my sister's friends, you know, would take the dogs out for her. She had two dogs. They would take her take the dogs out for a walk, mm. and just really practical things like that were just a huge help to us as a family. You know, um, at the time, <clears throat> my dad became just very unwell, just trying to absorb the news. So my, my father. Um, needed a lot of support as well so the practical support of getting my sister to hospital taking the dogs for a walk were kind of like a lifeline um you know and it's great people are praying for you and people post you a card and stuff is great but some of those practical things were just so helpful maybe just say this other thing you know, when there's a diagnosis or a terminal diagnosis, there's a whole family impact. So, like I say, my my father and mother were obviously just devastated as a you know another daughter facing a terminal diagnosis. And um, yeah, I mean, at times like that, you know, my, my father was retired from the ministry at that point. But you know, there was one or two people that came around my father in his time of distress, and again, we're just a lifeline. You know, just just regularly calling him regularly take him out for coffee, you know, try to support my dad through that was was just invaluable. So, you know, just, I suppose, for people to think about the whole family impact, it's not just the person who's been, had the diagnosis, it's it's the whole family that are trying to come to terms with it, you know. Andy, that's so helpful what you just said there, and, and so holistic, you know, speaking about the care that's required from one receiving the terminal diagnosis to the practicality of people coming around from the Maggie Centre and then the church family. Yeah, I, I would I would love to know, Andy, what you would have to say in terms of 
what are some of the areas where that support pathway for someone um, and the family who are going through that, what are some of the ways that that you think it could be improved? And especially as followers of Jesus, you spoke there so movingly of, of just the care that Holyrood Evangelical gave um, to your family and your, your sister at that time. How, how as followers of Jesus can we help people who have got a terminal diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, I, I spoke at my sister's funeral. Um, I spoke about, for, for me personally, I spoke about two, two, two people who had helped me through the whole 18 months of my sister's diagnosis, prognosis, and, you know, two friends that had phoned me, you know, almost weekly throughout the whole time, um, one of which was my cousin. Um, and, you know, they didn't phone with answers. They didn't kind of and silver line the whole thing they just kind of phoned to check in on me you know and I just found that you know so helpful that you know somebody cared enough to kind of phone me on a pretty much a weekly basis for for nearly 18 months you know but I think in terms of the, the church and and this kind of stuff um I think there's a there's a big difference between kind of sympathy and empathy um so you know I think sympathy kind of tries to silver line things sometimes tries to give quick answers I think the whole thing about empathy is you just walk with people through their brokenness and you know there's certain there's certain of my sister's friends who did that really well with her um they knew that she couldn't really eat very well at the time um so food wasn't a kind of a wasn't an option but they just they were there with her they kind of walked with her and they sat with her um she didn't have much energy so you know quick quick visits her pastor at the time uh, phil here um, at Holyrood was, was was superb. Again, you know, short short visits, texts, you know, uh, trying to keep her in the church family in terms of you know, online services and sending her the church bulletin every week faithfully. You know, all these kind of things. Um, my sister was a very private person, so she didn't like she didn't want a lot of attention. But I think the practical things of you know lifts to appointments was a, was a big thing. Um, help help with the dogs. That was a big thing for her. You know, people just staying in touch with her through texts and um, just checking in with her. I think I think that was really really helpful. That's such a helpful thing to highlight, Andy. Because you know, when we think about you know what walking you know with somebody or, or reaching out to somebody in the midst of terminal illness, you know, you, you, one of the things that stops us from doing anything is 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 thinking, well, I I I don't have the answers. I don't have something to help. But actually. You know, like you say, just helping with dogs or, you know, sending a text or, or an email with a church bulletin. I love the phrase you used there, keeping her connected to the church family. All of those things are actually things that are are very um, easy is not the right word, but 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 they're things that we can actually do. They're not impossible to do. They're, they're actually quite straightforward to do. And yet they can make a big, a big difference. And I think that's just such a such a helpful thing to be to be reminded of. I think I would just say one other thing. Um, one of the things my sister used to always say to me is, you know, when 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 you've got a diagnosis and you know you go out to church or something, everybody wants to talk about your cancer, you know, and you know to see beyond the the prognosis to the person. Um, there's still a person there, and they've still got a life, and they've still got you know emotions, they've still got hopes, you know, even even with a terminal illness. So, you know. Just keep talking about normal things. Just be it, be it, be your normal self. Don't you don't have to, you don't have to get 
a second by second account of you know the latest treatment. You know, that's a great point. I think. Yeah, there was one thing, Andy. You said that really struck me. You said, you know, um, that actually your sister's loss is is a reason why you are following Jesus today, um, and. That's, I think that's an amazing thing, you know, to, to recognize, because for so many people, they would say, you know, look, losing your sister, you know, when you're a child, losing your another sister later in life. For a lot of people, these would maybe be reasons not to follow Jesus, you know, and and I just think it's wonderful to hear you say that, actually, you know, this is what's this is what's driven you to to keep trusting in him. Yeah, my my, um, my sister, Linda, she was a both my sisters were bright Christians, but, you know, um, even at fourteen, she was she was a bright Christian, and you know, yeah, um, yeah she had a powerful impact uh, on me uh, before she died. And I think you know, as a child, you experience grief in a very different way. And to a certain extent, you can I could cope with the fact that she was there and then she was gone. Uh, the, the the distress I think for me was very much more on the the grief I saw in my parents and you know the the effect mm-hmm. it had on them and. You know the, the enormity of it all in terms of the community, a, a, a pupil at the school dying, and you know all the children being at the funeral, and um, it was quite a it was quite a, a big thing in the community, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean her 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 short life was 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 lived well, and it was a really bright witness, and yeah, had a very profound effect on me. Andy, thank you so much for just sharing of your own story. I I. I... I, I, I want to thank you so much just from, from Thomas and I, and I know on behalf of our listeners, there is just so much gold there to mine and, and I think been reminded of who God is and trust not even being an easy thing, trust being something that we have to, you know, work in the midst of it. But there's just so much you said there that was so rich and so holistic to, to, to care for one, the spiritual care, the practical care, the connecting one to... The community and then just that that difference between sympathy and empathy i think i don't know why it is but i think it, in the sort of christian uh, world that we live in it's easy to just want to be sympathetic to say i'm praying for you and then but it's it, is, it takes effort it takes love that's costly that that's going to walk with someone and be empathetic and try and put oneself in their shoes so thank you so much we are sponsored by Christian Focus Publications and um, we are so grateful to them for uh, their support to this podcast. And we're also just so grateful to Christian Focus for the amazing work that they do. Publishing um, publishing books that have been so helpful to so many people. Uh, some of them, uh, you know, with, with really rich uh, stretching theology, uh, others with um, some really practical, helpful uh, guidance for our lives as Christians. And so we're always delighted to recommend uh, a book. We've got a couple of books to recommend. Uh, first, um, uh, well, I'm going to highlight one that's just come out this month. But first of all, uh, Andy, tell us, uh, do you have a favourite Christian-focused book that you'd, you'd, you'd want to mention? Yeah, so um, a few weeks ago, I was away on a, a men's retreat up in Elton Creek um, with uh, Joe Bernard from Holyrood Evangelical Church. And a Really enjoyable weekend. Um, so, I've just been using uh, Joe Bernard's book, um, "Him Workouts: A Hundred Exercises to Set Your Heart Ablaze." Uh, I've been um, using him um, a personal devotions, and it's just a lovely book that you can use uh, to supplement your daily devotions. Um, 
There's 100 hymns that uh, Joe takes you through. Um, there are scripture references to back up some of the, 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 the teaching in the hymns. And uh, there are some reflection questions. So um, when we were away in the men's retreat uh, with cross-training ministries, a lot of the guys were asking for what, what could help us in our devotional life. And uh, if you want something that would, um, as Joe says, set your heart ablaze, uh, for love for the Lord, then I think uh, the hymn workouts is a great place to start. Great plug, Andy. And um, we, we plugged that in season one. We had Joe on speaking about that very book, about that very book, and I'm sure our listeners uh, will benefit all the more having heard about it again. Go by um, Hymn Workout by Joe Bernard. Thomas, what book do you have? To I've got one more to recommend because it's just out this month. Uh, it's called Island Aflame uh, by Tom Lenny. Uh, and uh, this is a book all about uh, the revival that took place in the Isle of Lewis uh, in Barvis between 1949 and 1952. This is a very, very famous revival. Uh, still today, people travel from all over the world to come uh, to Barvis. But one of the things about that revival is that it's it's kind of polarized opinion. So uh, there are some people who you know who who have spoken about the revival and and you know really um, amazed at what happened and and sometimes you know um, it gets spoken of in ways that um, you know really there is a a, a lot of quite astonishing uh, stories and and um, uh, and statements made about what happened. But then on the other side, there are actually people who are quite dismissive of the dismissive of the revival, and one or two books that have been written that have almost you know tried to sort of um, say that you know this this wasn't really a revival at all. So it's kind of polarized opinion, and and this book I would say is fantastic because um, it actually carves a pathway between those two uh, those two positions. Um, Tom Lenny does a really good job of of highlighting that some things have been exaggerated, probably unintentionally, but just over the years, mm-hmm. things have been, um, you know, stories have, have have grown, numbers have increased, and um, you know things, uh, you know things have have been record reported across the world <clears throat> that actually don't quite correspond to what what happened, but at the same time, something amazing did happen, and and Tom does a brilliant job of um. You know, of giving a really solid basis for recognizing that God did something amazing mm. uh, in Barvis in those years. So I feel it's a very, very balanced book. Um, it's very, very helpful. It's a you know really courageous attempt to be honest and to try to find um, to find the right balance in terms of of what happening uh, of what happened there. So highly recommend Island Aflame. Uh, it's just come out this month. So um, there you go. There's uh, there's two Christmas presents to buy: him workouts and Island Aflame. Both of them are highly recommended just don't put bread sauce on top of either of them <laughs> i just i'd like to I'd like, I'd like to thank joe bernard for the money that he gave me to plug his book so i'll go towards my Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful thank you to all our listeners um we will be coming with one more episode uh for this for this year and uh, we're looking forward to, to to doing that thomas and i will record one on our favorite quotes and um, from our favorite theologians um, but thank you for, for all who've listened today. And if there's been any issues, you know, that have arisen from the conversation today that you would like us to develop, please do let us know. Uh, I think today's topic is something that's probably going to resonate with a lot of people. And I do hope it's, it's been a blessing and a help. Thank you once again to Andy. Uh, really appreciate you, brother, um, for sharing your story. Thanks for having me.